second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I gotta buy some fucking drip pants. It's the March Mid Show featuring Celine Sanis Pond. It is such a pleasure to be back with all you folks, all you ladies and germs and cool folks here on the show. I'm excited to be doing our music piece this week. We're coming at you again with the artist of the week. Artist of the week. I'm extremely proud to be talking about one of my favorite pop punk bands uh pop punk is a big word that gets thrown a lot on the show especially if you tuned in last week and listened to our artist of the week knuckle puck from chicago illinois one of the biggest premier pop punk bands in the music scene especially if you listen to groups like run for cover records fearless records hopeless records uh we're throwing the word a lot around especially lately in the news too because of machine gun kelly we got machine gun kelly got defeated in a rap battle again and now has to change his genre for the third time me and celine and mitchell and uh, our good friend Reed, we love listening to the uh, young blood travis barker and mgk collab i think i'm okay and it's one of our favorite songs it's actually one of my favorite go-to karaoke songs that me and csp like to perform on the show that's always a good time uh machine gun put out a pop punk record and it's pretty good it's entertaining but i'm here today to talk to you about the real Real, die-hard, hard-working pop-punk bands right in your own backyard. Seriously, people, I'm glad that pop-punk is back in action, but we have some amazing talent all over the country that you could probably find uh, in your own backyard if shows come back soon, hopefully. The Artist of the Week I'm going to talk to you about is Movements. They have a brand-new album out on Fearless Records called No Good Left to Give. This is easily a contender for one of my favorite new albums of the year. This record definitely comes at you hard. It tackles lots of issues that I am normally an advocate for, like uh, your mental health, people being represented fairly in uh, their own communities and music scenes, as well as just personal progress and self-betterment movements as a band from, I believe, I want to say, is it? Was it Santa Clarita? It's where the 49ers play. Let me just fact check this real quick. <laughs> One moment, guys. It, it would appear that... Um, movements and their new album, No Good Left to Give, they are from Rancho Santa Margarita. It was, guys, it was Rancho Santa Margarita. Anyways, the band is fabulous. They are comprised of Patrick Miranda, Ira George, Spencer York, and Austin Cresci. This album is produced by another name we toss out around a lot on the podcast, Will Yip. Will Yip has been a producer from uh, many, many, many different albums uh, and artists we like on the show. Everyone from Tiger's Jaw to Wicca Face Brings Eternal. Uh, Movements is a band I would want to normally root in the email category, but they have lots of really great post-hardcore vibes. They've even been known to go into spoken word territory a lot, and they're also huge on alternative rock. The band signed to Fearless Records, They've had several releases uh, prior. One of my favorite records of 2018 was their uh, album, Feel Something. Um, literally, you can 
Everyone in the fucking scene knows that song, Daylily. I think it's time you had a pink cloud summer. Everyone loves that fucking song. And the album artwork is great. The photograph is actually a still taken from their music video shoot for that same song. That was actually uh, from, uh, it was confirmed online that the photograph was taken over by the forest near Portland and Lake Las Vegas. So that makes me feel really cool that a California band is kind of doing some artistic shout outs to um, where the March Mitch show is recorded. So shout out to Rubens and Patrick Miranda, as well as Ira Spencer and Austin. Thank you guys so much for throwing the Pacific Northwest some love. This record slaps, and it's definitely been a really good emotional roller coaster for me. You have these bands where on album number two, it's a definitive album. You get bands like Citizen, where their first album is such a fucking monumental success that the follow-up has to be something really good. It has to set the foundry for what the band is on an emotional level, a market marketing level, then also just it's kind of their chance to solidify themselves in the scene. And then you get groups like Citizen where they decided, hey, we don't want to be a typical prototypical pop punk band. So for album number two, they decided they wanted to be more of a grunge alternative band. I like the album a lot. Some of the mains, uh, mainstays in the scene are indifferent. Movements, on the other hand, I feel like they did a perfect job of doing the second album. They stayed true to the album that blew them up, the album that made them famous, and they came back at it again with round two. This album, No Good Love to Give, has some really really cool tracks. They make me feel serene. They make me feel peaceful. But then they have those post-hardcore tracks that make me want to fucking hop in the mosh pit again. I was lucky enough to see uh, Movements on tour with band, uh, Movements was on tour with uh, the band's Gleamer, who we featured on the show, as well as... Uh, Microwave, another popular punk band, and uh, Can't Swim. That was a really fun tour. It was uh, one of the not-so-fun moments I've had with edibles in, uh, in Portland, unfortunately, <laughs> but I rebounded pretty fast. If you're ever too fucked up on edibles and you're in public and you're having a bad time, my advice, get some alcohol in you. Go have a IPA. Go have like a stronger beer or something to, to offset the edible trip because if you're having a bad trip, depressants seem to work for some reason, or at least they did for me. Back in 2018, uh, this record with tracks like In My Blood, Skin to Skin, Tunnel Vision, they really just, they, they maintain the, that really good punk feeling you get on their previous album, but they kind of went into some cool alternative territory. They have some cool guitar tones I haven't heard before. I really like Skin to Skin. The lead single had a really cute music video that kind of reminded me of like, this is what a DIY uh, punk band video should look like. It looks like something you filmed with your friends that has a VHS filter on it and it just has the band kind of acting goofy with different green screens. It was really refreshing. Skin to Skin has a really cool alternating guitar riff that changes and kind of goes in a really cool fluctuating scale. I really like the track uh, Don't Give Up Your Ghost because me being a bass player, this has some sick fucking bass line in it. Towards the outro and throughout the song, really cool crunchy bass line that you get with like, you know, Fender Precision bass. But the track of the week we're going to talk to you about before we play it at the end of the segment is none other than Tunnel Vision. Tunnel Vision is the fourth track on the new record, No Good Left to Give. And uh, it really is, as Patrick Branda mentioned in an interview with Apple Music, it's a crowd pleaser. It sounds like a good, very like you know vintage movements track. You got some yelling and screaming, really blasting guitars. It's uplifting, makes you want to get in the pit and like scissor kick someone, you know. And just kind of have that really good adrenaline rush. I was a big adrenaline chaser for a long, long, long time. I loved getting in the pit, screaming my favorite lyrics. I have cried in the crowd during Clairvoyant by the story so far. I have been picking up my brother's 
during multiple Wonder Years tours when they're singing songs like Cardinals. It's such a good, good music scene to be a part of because the energy is always there. I'll never forget the moment when I saw Movements a few years ago. There was a kid in the crowd who was brave enough between songs to yell, this band is my antidepressant. I'll never forget the guts on that kid, that he was able to be so candid and feel so comfortable in a crowd with a couple hundred people that didn't all know each other and they were unified by the music. That is the most Pangean, beautiful concept to me. And I'm really happy that in the music scene, like the one that movements and bands like the Wonder Years and the stories so far all kind of encapsulate, there's a sense of brotherhood and like all human beings that love their music, they're there to have fun. And that's what kind of brings people together. I'm hoping that, you know, in the future, we'll be able to have shows again where people can have that Pangean concept of we're all in this together, regardless of how we grew up or who we are. Uh, the track of the week, Tunnel Vision, was produced by Will Yip. And the chorus goes as follows. Send my illness into the trenches, desperate to end this tunnel vision. Suffer my own submission. When I heard that brave young man yell those words, this band is my antidepressant, I totally fucking vibe with it. We all cheered him on. We, chilled, we cheered the band on. It was such a fun moment. And I'm really glad that Movements continues to put out really good music. I like tracks like Seneca on this album that preached a sense of love. I do anything for you. We all have people in our life like that, whether they're friends or, you know, your SO, even your own family. There are people out there you do anything for and people that you want to promote a sense of good well-being and positivity with. And in times like these, I'm glad that bands like Knuckle Puck or Artists of the Week last week. And I'm really happy that bands like Movements are continuing to endorse that kind of mindset. I was in a really tough point in my life between uh, 2018 and now where I had uh, struggled with my own mental illness, um, having borderline personality disorder and just really bad clinical depression took me to some dark places and it was never really like always a fun journey. But, you know, I was kind of a loner. I made choices not to have, uh, you know, real meaningful relationships, whether they be girlfriends, and then the, the main group of friends they did have, they didn't live in the same town. And we were brought together by this Pangean concept of we all like the same music. And, you know, I was willing to have these kids drive to my house because they're in a cow town, nowhere near Portland. And then they would reciprocate the same for me. I would go and, you know, give them gas money or hotel fares so that we could all go to the city and stay safe and sound and go see these shows and stuff. Of course, there were lots of antics and misadventures, but I don't regret a single moment. All the fun I had and all the shenanigans was all brought together by Movements music. Movements was the soundtrack to all, a lot of the good and better times in my life. I remember listening to the song Daylily when I went to go visit... Uh, Lincoln City with like my best friend we all went to go and hang out and like just kind of just goof off and stuff she took me there for my 28th birthday and it was just cool to like hang out and like just see the ocean and just like kind of just veg out uh check out 10 barrel and you know just kind of sip on some good stuff one of my favorite things to do for picnics is buy like the cartoonishly large like scooby-doo sandwich <laughs> and just like share that with your friend you know because life's about those kind of moments and movements does a good job of like letting us know like hey even when life isn't all always a happy time or a good time like my friend uh mitchell herring on the podcast says it's okay to be not okay. And that was something I really had to learn. Like, hey, it's okay to not be okay. You're gonna have moments where you're not feeling your best. You're gonna have moments where your friends aren't feeling their best and that's okay. Just let them know, hey, we're in this together and you know, we've got our favorite music. My favorite 
movement song of all time is uh, Full Circle. It's on that album, Feel Something, with such classics as, um, you know, Daylily and what's that track I like? Uh, Colorblind. Colorblind is a great track as well. Deadly Dull. Please check out that record as well. But the, the chorus of this song, uh, this one is one that was released previously is, uh, from the song Full Circle. The chorus goes as follows. It comes in waves and I'm pulled below. It's not subjective, it's clinical. Drown myself in the undertow of all my unbalanced chemicals. And this cycle comes full circle. This cycle comes full circle again. Movements is such a solid fucking band. Patrick Miranda really is kind of spearheading this mental health uh, movement for kids in the scene. And I really do think him being candid is going to be an inspiration to lots of uh, people much younger than myself to kind of be open, aware, and honest with their feelings. And hopefully we can preach that to everyone in the music scene, that it's okay to be not okay. It's okay to want to talk about uh, what's on your heart and in, in your mind. Um, we use this, the saying full circle a lot <laughs> in uh, English language, whether it's about, you know, coming of age, growing up, you know. Maybe one day we'll have like the March and Mitch movie where, you know, they, ca they cast someone to play, they get like, you know, um, someone to play me in the movie. They'll get someone to play Mitchell in the movie. Write in the comments, who, who do you think would play Celine Mitchell and Alex on the March and Mitch show movie? C try casting different Hollywood actors. Um, shit, I wish my co-hosts were here with me right now. This would be a fun one to talk about. Anywho, let's get straight to the, to the meat and potatoes. Your artist of the week is Movements from California on Fearless Records. And the track of the week is Tunnel Vision. Go check out their new album, No Good Left to Give. And hold the throne, folks. I'll be back someday, someday, someday soon. God bless you all and have a good night. This is Tunnel Vision by Movements. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. That was our Artist of the Week, brought to you by the one and only Alex Marchuski, a.k.a. the greatest musician ever to touch the microphone. I'm here live from Kaiser with my beautiful co-host, Celine. Uh, hey, guys. It's good to be back. Good to be back doing the podcast and talking to you guys. Um, I got to say, before we jump into anything else, I want to say I think that was one of my very favorite Pick, uh, music picks of the week. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually haven't listened to movements before, but that was 
that was a really good track. And I, I loved Alex's whole yeah. whole piece on it. Um, I just, I continue to love how honest we are on this show about the fact that life is a struggle and help you when you don't feel like you're okay. Um, so thank you for that, Alex. He's a music uh, savant. He really is, yeah. yeah. I mean... I got the opportunity to listen to some of Alex's own musical work recently, and I'm I'm loving it. I'm excited to hear more. Yeah, guy's got mad talent. He's a torture artist. He's just, you know, he's got more talent in his pinky finger than I think I've got accumulated in my 30 years right. of existence. And he just doesn't even try. Like he's so witty. He's so smart. He's so he's so quick. You know, yeah, whenever, this all just comes so naturally to him. Yeah, he doesn't even have to try. And it's just, uh, I mean, maybe he does try. I'm not saying he doesn't, but, you know, he just himself as a person is so fun to be around. And I can't wait till he's back in uh, back in our presence and mm-hmm. we get to uh, embrace him after his uh, long journey, um, you know. And I'm really looking forward to hearing, hearing you. Hearing our boy back. Hearing our boy back in the studio for sure. But we've got the formula. You've heard it once. You've heard it a, a thousand times. Well, I mean, I think actually we're up to like 22 episodes Yeah, you've now. heard it like 22 you've times. You've heard it 22 <laughs> times. And today we're bringing you the Artist of the Week, followed by Current Events. All right. And I'm super excited to talk about this week's <clears throat> Current Event because I think it's um, a really kind of uh, groundbreaking way of rethinking the very land that we live on Mm. and the communities on our land. So this week I want to talk to you guys about the land back movement, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. So the land back movement is a movement by Native American tribes from Canada all the way down to Peru, um, all looking to reclaim the land that was stolen during colonization. Yikes. Indeed. Yeah. And so obviously that's a complicated issue. So it's easy to say, well, we give the land back, but it's harder to say, what does that look like? Right. So I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like as well as why it matters. Um, So as far as like digging deeper, what this actually would look like. So, you know, one thing that is often one of the first concerns that's brought up is, you know, people currently living on stolen native land wonder what's, you know, is basically they want to know, is my land going to be, you know, stolen back yeah which obviously that's not how theft works if you know if we stole something and somebody takes it back that's just taking it back but hey you look like you want to jump in i really just want to derail you for just two seconds you know that episode that we just watched rick and morty where he gets really drunk and then for no reason talks about israel yeah that's how i feel about like the native american like land that we've stolen like all i want to do is just be like they didn't teach us in school and just go off completely yeah yeah seriously um and this topic you know i want to say that i was i I was a little hesitant to talk about it just because there's so much here and i want to make sure that i'm you know getting my facts right and giving people the credit that they deserve for the hard work that they've done on this movement so i just want to throw it out there like this is something that you know we we're basically colonizers. We are the people living on stolen land. Yeah. And this is going to be an uncomfortable topic. And I'm sure that I may get things. Uncomfortable for who? Well, th- it, uncomfortable for a lot of people. Oh, like, why should this be? I mean, those are, these are the facts, man. No, absolutely. Yeah. And but If you're uncomfortable, you're living on the wrong side of history, man. Indeed. And that's why I want to, you know, if you are listening to this and, you know, you are concerned about what this, this land back movement here. would look yeah, like. Dude, I'll give back my well, land. I, yeah. And I want to encourage people to sit with that discomfort and think about why why are you uncomfortable you know what what scares you about this yeah. because one of the biggest things in all of the articles i read was you know right off top trying to you know basically assuage the concerns of people being like so are they going to 
yeah. you know, our native are the Native Americans going to kick us out? Right, like, do we have to they, go back to Europe? They should. And and one thing that a lot of these <laughs> these resources that I've read say is, you know, people are very clear on the fact that they want to work. Yeah. It, together. They want our money. Yeah, they want our money and they want our cooperation. They want us to be, you know, emotionally and mentally available. Okay. For these conversations and partnerships. Say, yeah, you wouldn't want to kick out and paying some customers. Are, and some of the, the leaders in these communities are pretty clear on, yeah, we want to work together with you, but if you're going to fight us back, yeah. You, you're not part of this conversation. You don't get a seat at the table. You need to be willing to, di- to discuss what this is going to look like. Oh, good. Yeah, so I think it's a very reasonable take. Yeah, dude, just tell me where to go. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, I'm, and so I'm let's, open to it. Take your, you'll do it better than we did, that's for sure. And so w- what this looks like is, you know, a lot of it is taking land that is just, you know, state-owned or federally owned okay. and returning it to the, mm. the native... Like the tribes. The tribes that, you know should have always had access to this land. So a lot of it is really just working out partnerships with the government and kind of twisting the government's arm Mm -hmm. to grant land back to the tribes that should have them. Mm -hmm. There are definitely instances, um, like one example I was reading about was a California private resident was forced by the government to provide an easement on their property Mm -hmm. to protect a sacred site. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be times where... It's not your favor. Yeah, there are going to be times where people who privately own land are going to be asked to you know, either make changes to their land or give up portions of it. That's obviously going to be a difficult conversation for some people. We're not in the land owning yeah. conversation. So it's easy for us to be like, well, yeah, just give it back. Well, it's complicated because you know what? Uh, yeah. If I owned land and someone was like, you need to give it back. I'd be like, no, this is my land. But at this, this land is your <laughs> land. But at the same time, this land was never our land. This land was Mexico. Right. And and was tribes and then indigenous people and yeah and we were talking yesterday about how you know as we record right now this property is on what should be owned by the Kalapoya tribe right so it's you know and honestly most of these groups aren't asking private individuals to just flat give up their land right. they are happily taking donations of land mm. like there are drives to get people who own land to basically sell it to the tribes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. most of these movements aren't saying, give us your house. Well, and it, I mean, there's, a, they've made, and not to, not to, you know, derail, but they've, like the, you know, they built a, like a, a whole industry, you know, gambling is brought in tons and tons of, so it's like they're, the fact yeah, that they're willing to just buy back the land is such a, to, to me, almost like they're just like taking the L, you know, instead exactly. of exactly. Well, like, and I will say one thing that I was reading about is the boon to tourism mm-hmm. that we can get by improving our natural land, because what we're going to get to in a minute is like land stewardship and how to take care of the land. Right. But one argument that I read uh, in a couple different places is right now we're seeing the lands get dilapidated. We could have, you know, tourist things where native tribes are able to profit financially by being able to carry out their traditional activities and celebrations and allow people to take part in them. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah so it's there's tourism. A, yeah. There's a lot going on that we can benefit from and that the tribes can benefit from. Mm. Um, but so basically, you know, what's what we're looking at is in some cases places that are fundamentally altered mm-hmm. and that are going to take a lot of work. Like one thing that I found really tragic in reading was the uh, Winnemem Wintu tribe had lands historically in the San Francisco area. 
And the government in the 40s actually agreed to give them back their land, but mm. then reneged and built a dam. So they built the Shasta Dam. Oh. And so now the Winnemem-Wintu tribe, a lot of their lands are submerged. Right. Their burial sites are oh, submerged. Right. Important cultural sites where they held the celebrations old, are underwater. The old bait and switch. Yeah. You and, just land you know, back. A, an integral part of the Winnemem-Wintu's, uh, you know, Culture. Yeah, culture and spirituality had to do with the salmon runs, mm -hmm. which aren't happening anymore because of this. So we're talking everything from just, hey, give back this state park all mm -hmm. the way to we need to figure out what to do with this dam that has irrevocably changed the environment. Right. They can't just drain it. Otherwise. You right. Yeah. And, you know, and actually, I don't know if you've ever been. To, have you ever been to the petroglyphs near the uh, John Bay, uh, uh, no. John Day Dam? No. So in northern Oregon, right on the border with Washington, is the John Day Dam. If you cross over into Washington, there's a really remarkable historical site mm -hmm. with petroglyphs, so stone carvings, that some of them are uh, like 12,000 years old. So a really historic spiritual site. And same exact story with the John Day Dam. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know that there are probably hundreds of artifacts that are completely submerged now. Okay. So we're seeing this all over. It's, it's practically in our new. backyard. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> the one thing they don't teach you in history class in the U.S. is genocide's a part of our culture. I mean, everybody else has like legit heritage and Europe is basically like, eh, you know, murder and mass genocide. But we don't talk about that. So. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the Trail of Tears was taught to me as we nicely asked the Cherokee people to please move. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, sure, why not? And they just glossed over the part where we call it the Trail of Tears. Yeah. They were like, they made it sound like they were just sad to have to walk too far. Yeah. When that's obviously not the issue. The, the thing that blows my mind is that the when I was told or, or some, I don't know how it, it came up, but the fact that there was like, there were more deaths when we colonized America than in the Holocaust. Yeah. And that to me is like, we teach the Holocaust, because it's not us. The Holocaust, you know, is the worst thing ever to happen. Exactly. It's, it's the darkest thing you learn in history class. And it's like millions of people were died. There's museums. And then to find out this information, it's like, well, okay, we did kill more people than that during this, but look at this great America that we have now. And it's just like, right. the means don't justify the end when it comes to that. Like we teach that the Holocaust was so bad yet we were worse. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the that type of genocide continues. Uh, right. You know, I read a lot about the intergenerational trauma that's been passed down in Native communities. And that results in everything from serious mental health struggles to physical health conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, we see higher incidences of lots of chronic conditions in Native communities. Yeah, yeah. People who uh, live on the reservation, there's like a huge percentage that, you know, fall into uh, adolescents and adult lives that are, you know, subject to alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And um, because there's so few resources. Right. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I found really profound in researching this is that this isn't just an issue of, you know, give us the land back because it's ours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just we need this space. One thing that was profoundly clear to me is that the connection to the land is integral to their connection to spirituality right. and their ancestry, which makes a lot of sense because when, you know, when you study Native tribes and their practices and traditions, so many of them have to do with recurring natural phenomena like salmon runs, mm. deer hunts, um, you know, just various things that 
are very specific to the ecosystem of the area. Yeah, they were super in tune with nature and they balanced it with their uh, footprint. And so when you cut that connection by forcibly removing people and not allowing them to utilize that land and then damaging the land so badly that even if they set back, Mm -hmm. you know, if they go back to that area in Shasta, it's damaged. You know, we've completely cut that connection. And that means that we've completely cut spirituality. And so it's a very colonizing mindset not to allow people to go back to the land that they should be from. And that has resulted in, you know, all of the things that we've been talking about. But one thing that some of these papers mentioned a lot is we need to get back from this colonized mindset because by severing that spiritual connection, we severed a lot of, you know, corollary connections. Like most native tribes had a much kinder view about gender and, uh, and sexual identity. Mm-hmm. You know, when we see homophobia in tribes now, it's that's really not a traditional stance. That's right. something that we, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the colonizers came and imposed. Yeah, and na- when we put people into schools and cut off their systems. Right. That's whitewashed. We whitewashed them. Yeah, because the original natives had four genders. It was like masculine, feminine, ma- feminine, mm-hmm. masculine, feminine, feminine, masculine, masculine. And they like identified all four. And it was like you were, you know, they had um, a pretty open yeah. mind to, to and and i do want to be clear like you know each tribe right. um, and region has its own you know cultural connections and things like that so it, you know there's a lot of different understandings of gender and sexuality they can't neatly fit into boxes that you know you and i could understand i'm just saying but yeah exactly you're you're exactly right like being two spirit is yeah, exactly a common native gender that we said was bad and immoral and sinful and then we taught christianity right <laughs> we we what Anyways, hold. So one of the things that I'm the most excited about in this topic is the returning of the stewardship of the land to native tribes. Let's do it. Because one thing that we, that a lot of government agencies and, you know, caretakers of the land are realizing is that when we make changes that native tribes say is going to significantly impact, Mm -hmm. you know, one of their main food or cultural sources... That means, you know, if it's going to negatively impact the tribe, more often than not, that means that it's going to seriously negatively impact the environment overall. Uh-huh. And so one thing that a lot of organizations like um, Resource Generation, the Northwest Youth Corps, and a lot of other really excellent organizations are, are doing is they're partnering um, with government agencies that take care of the land. So one example that I was reading was um, one of the Nez, uh, Purse, one of the Nez Perce, uh, organizations in Oregon historically would have lived in the Malheur area. And when the people running the Malheur Wildlife Refuge decided to partner with that tribe, we saw a massive uptick in biodiversity in Mm -hmm. Malheur because they were studying what the land should have looked like. Mm -hmm. And so they were combining their cultural practices. Like I thought there was a beautiful story about how they were able to push a canoe out onto the lake and sing songs that hadn't (laughs) been sung on that lake in over a hundred years. So they're taking their understanding of the native ecology and their own history and transferring that into noticeably increasing the biodiversity and ecological wellness of the Mallard Wild Wildlife Refuge. Right. So we can I mean we can talk about how that can be applied in so many different ways. But one reason that I kind of thought of this topic initially is because, you know, we've seen these devastating wildfires mm. all across the country but particularly in the Northwest. And one thing that we know is that native tribes didn't have these issues before colonizers arrived. They didn't have these issues of these massive devastating fires Mm -hmm. 
because they were routinely out in the forests, you know, very carefully maintaining what the forest looked like. And we basically just let the forests go to seed. And so right. that means there's so much brush that can catch fire. Mm -hmm. So colonial practices have resulted in these devastating fires that hurt everybody. So we can see so many different ways that this can be beneficial. Um, so, you know, ultimately kind of where I come down to on, you know, why this is all important, um, kind of three things. First of all, just it's right. This land is stolen. It needs to go back to the people who, who should own it. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, because native spirituality is so closely tied to natural occurrences that allowing access to the land and the ability to restore it to health is the only way to restore spirituality and really you know, not just financially, but spiritually right. move towards making native tribes whole. Um, and finally, we can all really benefit from fixing the harms of colonialism, mm. from changing our mindsets to fixing the environment that we live in, in the middle of what's going to be a massive climate, probably <laughs> apocalypse. We need to do everything possible to maintain the land and try to make right with it. Yeah. So we are all going to benefit, but ultimately it's the right thing to do. And so for our listeners who are wondering, you know, this is a great topic, but what can I do? Um, I have just a couple recommendations. Um, I, first of all, I really cannot recommend strongly enough the Yellowhead Institute's October, 2019 land back red paper. Um, it's a little bit of a read. It's definitely kind of a lot to work through, but it's very accessible and really makes clear, you know, the, the details of, um, like consent based land management practices, working together with the tribes and the colonizers and settlers to return to something that works for everybody. Um, just tons and tons of information about why that that's important. So definitely that's a great place to start. A lot of what I found recommending what you can do is learn about where you live. Like we are on Kalapuya land. Mm -hmm. I want to do a lot more reading about what the Kalapuya uh, Native Americans valued and what their cultural practices were. So I can understand what this land should look like. Um, support good policy. If you know that there are politicians who have agreed to work with the native tribes in the area to try to restore the land, those are politicians you might consider voting for. Mm -hmm. If you see policies that are being proposed that you can vote on that would restore some of the land and give more power to the native tribes, those are policies you should vote for. So stay educated. If you can, reach out to community members in your area to try to actually partner with native community members so that you can learn more about what's going on. But fundamentally, the number one thing is just understand where you fit into this. Yeah, actually, you know, you bring up a good point. If you're uh, interested in actually making a difference and the voting thing, I think is super important. Save yourself the time. Call them if you really are just in support of them. And be like, hey, like, how can I help you? Like, what? who's supporting your, who's actually supporting your policies? Who's mm -hmm. not just talking about it? Who are you guys recommending we vote Absolutely, for. Absolutely. Yeah. And Looking into sponsorships and things yeah. like that. You know, if, if a native tribe says, you know, we officially endorse this person. Yeah. That's the person to vote for. Absolutely. And understanding why they endorse that person is going to make it so that you can better make choices like that. Work smarter, not harder. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just exactly. Take your leads from the native communities in your area, because I guarantee that there are a lot of amazing uh, people working on these issues. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be the best place to learn from. Um, and I just, I really want to, again, thank the, the sources that I used. I used, uh, you know, I, I relied on a lot of different sources, but the Yellowhead Institute Resource Generation and the Northwest Youth Corps are some of the organizations that I lean the most heavily on. And you can find a lot of really great information about the work that they're doing by going to their, their websites and, and reading their work. And with that, that has been your current event. Next up, we bring you this week's Nostalgia Trip. We'll be back right after this. 
And we're back after this. <laughs> this week's nostalgia trip is going to be quick because uh, it's an interesting uh, film. It's it's the oldest film we've done, that's for sure. Uh, it, yeah, I'm going to say it. It stands the test of time. I much more enjoyed this movie more than I did The Terminator. And this movie came out about eight, nine years before The Terminator, which is hilarious. And honestly, I think the comedy has gotten more on point like the more we move into today's style of comedy which is just absurdity yeah i i think that it not only stands the test of time but even i would say aces the test of time yeah yeah comedy central would eat this up if it were made uh, today yeah. right yeah if somebody pitched this movie to comedy central right now yeah they would be like oh you're so stoned i love yeah. it let's do it yeah the keenan peel whatever mm -hmm. style just the, this uh, total absurdity. I mean, there's not even, there's no plot to this movie. The movie literally ends. Do you want to tell them what the movie is? No. Oh, okay. No, I'm, it's dramatic, oh, okay. dramatic build, you know? It's, uh, anyway. Okay, so it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail, 1975, like literally. It's 45 years old. It's about right when colored televisions became a thing. And this movie, like, is just absolute insanity from start to finish. The, the entire premise of this movie is is just british humor and i know monty python's uh as a giant legacy it's got kind of the actually you know uh monty pythons are kind of like the british quentin tarantino because he uses the mm. same cast mm -hmm. over and over and some of the other monty pythons i'm not as like they're a little bit more british but this one specifically i remember watching this when i was like probably like 10 years old and just finding it insanely humorous it was absolutely just this and see, I never saw it as a kid, but my mom was always quoting it. Like, I knew so many lines from this movie and didn't realize they were from this movie. Yeah. Um, my favorite is always going to be the, she turned me into a newt. Yeah. They're right. I got better. Yeah. And I I just don't even know how I stumbled upon this. I think I was in middle school. And my friend, like, we rented it from, like, Hollywood Video or something. And it's just absolute insanity it's this whole the whole premise is that arthur pendragon king arthur is, is traveling around trying to form the knights of the round table and just these wacky in, inner inner encounters that he comes across we didn't even i think we might have missed the black knight which is probably one so, of the yeah. funniest scenes in the entire thing where uh arthur is fighting the Black Knight, and this Black Knight's like, you shall not pass unless you best me at swords. And literally, he cuts off, like, all his limbs, and he's like, the fight is over. He's like, it's not over. It's only over when I say it's over. He's like, you have no arms. That's merely a flesh wound. Yeah. Come at me, you and me, I'll bite off your legs. And it's like, this entire, the whole movie is that, with the knight. And that's another quote that I did not know was from this movie, but I grew up hearing from my mom constantly. Just only a flesh wound. Yeah, just come back here, you ninny. I'll bite off your legs. Like, it's just... It's, and the coconut with yeah. the, the horse hooves is just... That's just classic. Like, even people who haven't seen Monty Python typically yeah. know that scene, at least. Just <laughs> wild. And, yeah, the whole movie... And, and then just these cuts between, like, current British... Um, the timeline where like the police are investigating this this random announcer in scene 24 yeah his murder and that broke it, me a little bit yeah <laughs> and, and it just like continues they're just investigating his mirror and then it right as they're getting to the end of the movie where like this big battle scene is like ah and then like the police show up and arrest arthur right <laughs> for this murder and 
There's really no plot. I really had to not think too hard about the timelines yeah. going on because I was just like, that's going to break my brain. No, and I think that's part of the British humor is it's just so much wackiness and and they break the fourth wall. And I think the most impressive thing to me is the um like I think it's stop motion animation there where they use the um the in-between like characters and they're using um it's 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 animated, I guess, but you have to remember this is nineteen seventy five. And so these like scenes where they cut to like where, you know, God talks to him and it's this almost South mm-hmm. Park like uh, head talking, right? And those those are really cool, actually. Like those transitions and the way they use them to. Yeah, I loved the, the and I loved the style of a lot of the animation too. Like my my favorite like visual in the movie, I think, was the monster that's chasing them, yeah. and then eventually the uh, they get out of it because the guy doing illustrating dies <laughs> yeah. of a massive heart attack. <laughs> yeah, they they completely destroy the fourth wall, and it's um, it's so bananas. It's just bananas. Yeah, it's super funny. The the coconuts and the swallow, like that's like the first scene that you see. And he's talking about is he's so I wish to talk to you, um, your master, uh, you know, your master or whatever, I, your leader. He's asking to speak to whoever's in charge. And then the other guy is just completely being like, where did you get coconuts? Right. What, what do you mean? It could have been carried by a swallow. You're saying a four round swallow could have carried a four pound coconut. <laughs> no. And then the other guy chimes in and he's like, well, I mean, maybe if they were stringing and grisp it by the husks. <laughs> There's no way. It's a flight. Pa- uh, yeah. Anyway. And just that, that's just the whole vibe of the movie. And it's just, there's just, it's just pure chaos. The, the, the biggest, baddest, the end, toward the end of the movie, the, the bunny who is right. yeah, just, just this vicious creature. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun movie that stands the test of time and it was uh, worth rewatching. I just, I still can't believe it was made so long ago, but definitely worth a watch. Super interesting. Never have I, I might s- go watch Monty Python right now. Yeah, I never have seen a movie that was so old that feels like it it it, it just has not aged. You know, like right. the movie is its own thing, and it's it's these quirky British guys with this really uh, quirky sense of humor, and they've done such a phenomenal job. And I know Monty Python's a staple in in comedy, where you know people really um, you know flock to this type of humor, and, and there's a good reason for it. So that's the nostalgia trip. That's all I've got to say. We're going to wrap up the show with that. Celine, do you have any last words? Just want to thank everybody for listening. I do want to remind everybody that you can get a free audiobook on us. Go to audibletrial.com slash March. Uh, slash March. Audibletrial.com. Audibletrial.com forward slash March. I do have a quick book recommendation. Um, I've been listening to the new translation of Beowulf mm-hmm. by Maria Devana Headley. Um, I never thought that I would enjoy Beowulf. I remember feeling like it should be criminal to make ninth graders read this book. That's like, you know, it's not in old English because it's translated, but it still feels like old English Mm. and it's just not interesting at all. Turns out it's so interesting. Um, (laughs) It's an excellent book, an excellent story about like freaky monsters and, you know, people just bragging about their wealth. I love it because most translations of Beowulf translate the very first word as like, listen or behold or hear ye this one starts with bro (laughs) and just you know the it transitions from really beautiful almost flowery language to one of my favorite lines where people are talking about you know it's saying how people think that they are totally nice and safe and not going to be experiencing danger and then the next line is 
bro, let me just say how fucked they were. Nice. And it just reads so naturally. Yeah. I can't recommend it strongly enough, and they do have an audible version of it, so that's going to be my plug for this week. Nice. Okay. Well, check it out. Thank you guys for listening. This is the March and Mid Show featuring Celine. We wish you all a very, very happy Halloween as the October months bring us into the colder, more spooky weather. Uh, we look forward to doing maybe some more spooky theme of the next month or so. Well, we'll uh, pick some maybe some spooky music and maybe I'll cover, you know, some of the old Disney classics mm-hmm. like Halloween Town or something like that because those are definitely up my alley when it comes to this knowledge trip. Amen. Well, thank you guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll look forward to checking in with you next week.